Welcome to another edition of the Week Den Update. I'm your host, Will Walker, and joining me from Mount 12 Ski, it's John Kraft. How's it going, John? Going very well. Going very well. So We have the All-Star Weekend upon us right now, and we are glad to have a little bit of time here without some games, and we'll get to what happened in the last week or so, but overall, there's just been a lot of big stuff going on with the Grizzlies, and we're excited to unpack some of those things. Some of them are, are micro, some of them are macro. They apply to the entire league. Uh, we'll start with our the, the stats first. Grizzlies are sitting at 35 and 22. It's good for second in the conference, sixth overall in the NBA. Their offensive rating per NBA.com is at 113.7, which is 15th in the league, exactly league average. Defensive rating is 109.8. That's third in the league, now trailing uh, Cleveland and Milwaukee. Net rating at a 4.0, which is fifth in the league. Point differential per cleaning the glass, 5.1. The first time we've dipped down to third in a really long time, but we're at at third uh, place there in point differential. And... Let's start with the news. Some of this we're, we're going to gloss over if we have um, discussed it prior, because mm-hmm. if you notice, we've, we've been on a, on a big trade deadline kick, and with the All-Star break, it's kind of messing with the normal routine of the Grizzden podcast. We're hoping to get back to that very soon, but we still have a lot of news to officially catch up on here. So, John, let's start it out. Yeah, so going all the way back to February 2nd, uh, Ja and Jaren were both announced as All-Stars. Ja a little bit earlier, and then, uh, well, actually both, I guess, were announced as reserves and uh, on February 2nd. And so the big surprise being, obviously, Jaren being one of the last people named on the reserve. Uh, Jaren, you know, apparently Jaren was not expecting it. He had already planned a vacation, and but it was a big surprise and really fun, and it's really fun that we... Um, you know, have two all-stars and, uh, unfortunately it led to a little bit of, uh, like should Jaron be there backlash a little bit, which, you know, again, uh, to not to gloss over it, we discussed in other podcasts why I thought that was very wrong, but it's very exciting. Um, I personally think that this is the beginning of many all-star, uh, appearances for Jaron. I mean, I think we already know Jaw's going to pretty much be an all-star barring injury, probably most of the rest of his career, uh, especially just because of his superstar status and, uh, but it's very exciting. Yeah, it was. And I think that if you were looking at different mock drafts for the all-star, uh, draft that, has changed a bit in the last few days, but you were seeing Jaron as like the obvious one to maybe be picked last, which is normal for a big guy who's not highly touted already. But I don't know if you saw this craft. They're changing the way they do the uh, all-star yeah, draft. And they're going to draft the reserves first and so that you don't have the stigma of being <laughs> Mr. Irrelevant of the all-star draft, which in my mind was one of those things that I feel like the NBA is going to get made fun of for this week. And then maybe in the future years, we're not even going to think about it. Uh, But I thought that was hilarious. And also, they're not doing the draft until the day of. This is kind of crazy. The teams won't be formed until 4.30 p.m. uh, tomorrow. We're recording on Saturday morning, by the way. So that is super interesting uh, and and a positive thing, I guess, for Jaron's PR. Yeah. 
yeah, so it'll be interesting. I mean, that's, you know, uh, people were joking when they made the shift there. Everybody was saying, well, now Lori Markkinen's going to be upset because most people think he's going to be the last of the starters picked. But, uh, but no, obviously, you know, Jaron is not uh, – Although blocks are great, unfortunately, most of Jaron's highlights come on the defensive end, which uh, if you've ever watched an all-star game, you know that the the defense is not uh, what you would expect in an all-star game. So uh, so it seems like he'll probably be a pretty low uh, a, a last pick of the reserve. So. In other news, Kenny Lofton Jr. was chosen to participate in the NBA Rising Stars game as a G League player. Now, that happened last night from the time that we're recording and um, happy for him. That shows that he has some popularity uh, among the league because I feel like that's part of the reason why you get chosen as a G League player. It's and I mean it's merit based too, but overall right. it's it was really fun to see him out in the court hit a hit a three or two. Yeah, he uh, was he was not afraid to put the shots up. For no, sure. he never has been. Never <laughs> has been. Um, so All Star Weekend we've got going on this weekend, and then also going back to February third, Dylan Brooks was suspended one game after his scuffle with with Donovan Mitchell it seems like I mean we've come so far since that game uh in terms of the all-around Dylan vibe and we'll we'll talk about some of Zach Kleiman's comments about Dylan uh but overall Dylan did serve that suspension uh and it was one of those things that you kind of had to do after an incident like that yeah and it kind of frustrating in the sense that you know we lost a close game to Toronto uh with the Dylan suspended it's one of those things where you know you wonder if Dylan had been there if we might have been able to pull a close game out uh then later uh continuing sort of the negative news uh on February 5th we uh kind of got uh, the reporting of an incident with uh, Jaws, sort of a group of friends or a crew or however you want to kind of put it, sort of his um, his friend group that also sort of is like Jaw Enterprises uh, uh, with the pay- with uh, some Pacers, uh, you know, players, maybe also some of the Pacers players crews uh, outside of the team bus, sort of in the area uh, underneath FedEx Forum. And it became a big thing, especially with kind of a, a fun uh, headline of, of lasers and uh, potentially laser sights put on people and guns. And that kind of made all the news, even though um, obviously, if you read the articles and find out, you know, and, and listen to people that that there was there was no corroborating evidence that that happened. Nobody could find anything. Uh, but it was a very sort of ugly situation um, at a time when probably uh, Grizzlies fans were kind of at their most frustrated and lowest with the team. And so it was kind of a perfect storm of just a lot of frustration uh, with Grizzlies, with Grizzlies fans um, and also coincided with the Grizzlies uh big uh, season ticket renewal push where they'd raise their rates. And so there was a lot of, it was an unhappy little period of time for sure um, here in Memphis. Yeah. And it was right on the day too, that the, the Toronto game where you would hope that things would have turned around and then you had the really close loss. Granted, Ja wasn't playing just bad vibes all around during that specific weekend. However, a couple days later, governor Bill Lee announced that they were including $350 million in funding for renovations to FedEx Forum and Simmons Bank Stadium in the proposed budget, which was huge. And uh, Jim Strickland, mayor of Memphis, had asked for upwards of 600 to $700 million for a bunch of renovations around the city's arenas. And they fine-tuned this to mainly 
prioritize FedEx Forum and Simmons Bank. Governor Bill Lee did. There was a grant line item for those purposes. And this is very exciting. I've had some people talk about during this All-Star break, you know, what are, what are the odds Memphis could ever be in the mix for, for All-Star? And I think the number one most important thing is just hotels. And I'm looking at the uh, Union Walk area in downtown, waiting still for, for something to get figured out there. But overall, we don't have the hotel space in Memphis yet, plain and simple. You need a lot because the entire NBA moves its operations to your city for about a week. And a lot of meetings, stakeholders, pretty much everybody who's somebody with these teams is there, apart from the players who are heard taking well-earned breaks and some coaches. But the other part of it is the stadium itself. And if we remember FedEx Forum, the quote-unquote new arena was built back in 2004 and prior. And so it's been about 20 years. It's time that we got an upgrade. We talked about it on this podcast when it was first introduced as an option about how we would foresee there being more lower level seats added, maybe removing some of the upper level boxes and potentially shrinking down the size of the upper bowl, all in an effort to increase revenue, increase the experience for those that are sitting up close, and maybe just some general upkeep renovation that it was need that we needed for a long time for FedEx Forum. So super exciting. We're, we do not yet have a timeline for when that's going to happen. We're not sure which offseason they're going to choose, but it should be coming. Yeah, so very exciting news. And, uh, you know, as someone who loves the, the club level seating uh, where I am, you know, uh, there is a little bit of I wonder what's going to happen there because I do think they want to add a lot more lower level seats. Um, but I think, but but ultimately, having the ma- the majority of your seats in the upper level is just not a good strategy, and uh, and makes for probably you know a worse fan experience in some ways for more for more fans. And so, I think whatever will happen, I think I feel good that uh, you know, and also just little things like our stadium was built before the iPhone and before smartphones became. Um, you know, used by everyone. And so just a lot of things like that, we just need a lot of updating. And so it's exciting that our state, which doesn't always care uh, about West Tennessee, um, you know, didn't just concentrate on Nashville and their new NFL stadium, but also gave us a lot of money to, to help our NBA stadium as well. And for those that want more for 901 FC, for example, there were some plans that were released about a potential stadium replacing the Mid-South Coliseum. Mm -hmm. So it could still work. It might not be public funding, that is the uh, the backing for the soccer stadium, but FedEx Forum should be prioritized because not only does it help the one professional sports franchise uh, or big four, if you will, professional sports franchise in your city, but also you would think that it's going to increase the number of music acts that yes. will come through different shows, and that's just a, a snowball effect when those things start happening. And so an updated arena will be positive for everyone involved, and it also increases the odds of the Grizzlies staying in Memphis, which is always a concern until we have the lease agreements signed and extended. So um, big trade happened, John. What happened on February 9th? Yeah, the Grizzlies acquired Luke Kennard and a 2026 second round pick. Only one. There's lots of them going around. Uh, Swap from Clippers in a three-team trade. Uh, We sent Danny Green to the Rockets, um, and we sent three second round picks to the Clippers. But uh, but basically, you know, uh, for Danny Green and some picks, uh, some, you know, kind of average second round picks, uh, we received Luke Kennard. 
and who, uh, you know, obviously our biggest need, we've been talking about it for a long time, uh, is shooting. It's like the thing that stands out more than anything else. And we were, you know, and we acquired one of the best shooters in the NBA. Um, and, and we've talked a little bit, uh, last time, uh, just about, you know, some concerns defensively and is he going to get picked on the playoffs? But ultimately, um, we got a shooter and I think we definitely got an upgrade over, um, a Danny green who's older and still coming off injury. And we got, I think a contract that's, that's good. And that kind of would help, uh, if we need contracts to kind of make a big splash in the summer. So in that, in that way, I think, uh, you know, uh, I was excited about the move. He's shooting 50% from three so far in two games. I think yeah. he's like three for six. Huge, <laughs> huge going into this this last 30% of the season. And this is something that, to me, was probably the most important news item as it relates to the Grizzlies specifically. Zach Kleiman held a press conference on February 10th. And in this press conference, he was more revealing, I believe, than he's probably ever been in a public uh, setting, it wasn't, you know, we had the comments made prior to the season about their expectations for the year, that they want to build a championship contender, and some specifics behind wanting to improve half-court offense and and shooting there and, and how they were thinking about that and the team building moving forward. He, I believe, heard the noise because there was a lot going around about the Grizzlies how standing pat would be a huge mistake, how they would regret doing that, how draft picks weren't the answer long-term, and that how rare is it to have opportunities like this specific trade deadline where there are more than more than just OG. There were other guys like Mikkel Bridges, Dorian Finney-Smith that were maybe available for the right price, and they fill a position of need for you as the Grizzlies. Well, the... The trade that happened with Luke Kennard did fill one need, but ultimately none of the guys that got dealt, uh, or excuse me, that were reportedly available that were at that wing position got dealt. And Kleiman at his press conference made comments about how not only were they aggressive with players that we thought that they should be aggressive with, but they actually went out and tried to go big game hunting Zach Lowe reported that the Grizzlies offered all of their own picks and swaps for Kevin Durant. Now, that specific situation was one where Kevin Durant kind of got to choose and the Brooklyn Nets were only working with one team, but it shows you that we weren't afraid to, to cash in those chips. He also, uh, he didn't say this uh, explicitly, but it was reported that we offered three first-round picks for OG we were also the team that people speculated offered four first-round picks for Mikel Bridges. And so I think that we need to, based on this press conference and based on Kleiman's um, basically just being so explicit about this, I think we need to reorient the way that we talk about. I've heard so many people say the Grizzlies didn't do anything at the deadline. Well, that's not necessarily the case. It's that no one said yes to the right. Grizzlies at the deadline. And I think that's a, a important... Uh, reframe of what actually went down. And I was encouraged because Kleiman overall, his, his, his eye has been on championship. The goal has always been championship. And he obviously knows what the needs of this team are. And it, and it didn't sound like they were pulling any punches when it came to their offers. No, I mean, and definitely, I mean, it, and it more and more feels like the leaks uh, that, that a Zach Lowe or Chris Haynes and other people were reporting were coming from the Grizzlies. I think uh, Kleiman, like you said, was very honest I definitely think they wanted to get it out there. They wanted to change that narrative. 
that they were not willing that they're like kind of hoarding their picks and hoarding all their rookies. Uh, when in fact, I just think uh, I I think that uh, going forward, they have three guys in Jaron and Bain and Jaw that I think are going to be untouchable. I mean, at least Bain um, was untouchable in the Durant deal, um, you know, and I'm someone who thinks John Jaron are absolutely untouchable. I think Bain's pretty untouchable. Uh, you know, obviously there's you know, like a few people out there and we do the trade value call, you know, talk all the time, but, but in that sense, I think everybody else is very much up to be traded for the right deal. Like if we're not just going to make trades to make trades, but like, are we going to get somebody who is better? Are we going to get certainty? And I think we went after those people. And like you said, it's hard to be mad when none of like the supposed targets went anywhere else. And, and just so you know, I mean, as someone, we both listen to a lot of other podcasts. I mean, the, the Nets fans, Raptors fans, uh, they're, they are very angry that trades are not made. Um, you know, and I think Masai, especially for the Toronto is getting a lot of criticism now for not pulling the trigger on any trades and, uh, and, and Fred Van Vliet just signed with clutch. So good luck Raptors trying to keep him. And, and so it could be, um, in some ways a blessing. It could be that we look up and a Mikel and, and a Mikel Bridges or a, uh, OG Ananobi are actually, um, you know, worth less on the market or that we get them for less than we would have given up now because it's the summer, you know, and there's less of sort of that, that trade deadline price going up. And so in some ways I think it's good. And I think the, the best thing is we come out of this and we're still in a great position to make a big move. All the people that I think we've talked about in the past will all be available this summer probably. So in that sense, I think uh, I, I'm excited about it and I think our team wants to go for it. Um, and we just need to find a trade partner who's willing to make a deal. Yeah, my criticism of the front office coming off of the trade deadline in our reaction pod was I didn't know if they were willing to lose a trade. Mm -hmm. One of his very first comments in that press conference was, "You guys might have said we were would have said that we were over overly aggressive right. when we and seeing what we offered some of these guys." So that that to me, I mean, yeah. you can say one thing obviously in a press conference after all the dust has settled and you acted a different way on calls. I just don't believe that was the case. Like, I don't know why they would right. put this out there if it wasn't the case. And so I was encouraged. Right. It seemed as though Luke Kennard was the absolute best that we could have done, uh, just given the external market. And right. so that was an encouragement to me that our front office kind of knows what's going on and when they're prioritizing, pushing the chips in. So yeah, I would, yeah. to your point, I wouldn't be surprised to see something happen. Right. Summer. I mean, I mean the nets, I think are especially, they're not going to keep the team they have this summer. They're going to try to make moves. So that would be a team um, that I would look at. They have a lot of three and D wings, you know, and obviously some of them would just be small upgrades like a canard, but there's some really good pieces there. And then Toronto and, and so I expect, you know, I think it'll be a fun summer for us, uh, especially depending on how the playoffs go out, work yeah. out. And I just think, I don't, I don't think there's any reason. And, to kind of sum it up that we should at this point doubt our front office or begin to think that they've like become arrogant or lost their touch. I just feel like they still have a very good track record and I still really trust them to make the best moves. A couple of things. And then I'm going to tee you up for the other big news item. Okay. So jaw was named all-star an all-star starter after replacing Stephen Curry, who's going to be out, out with a lower leg injury for, we do not know how long. Um, and then also on a mo the most recent Daily Memphian podcast, Chris Harrington speculated that Steven Adams might not be back for the first game after All-Star break. That wasn't hard reporting there, but he seemed to think that it could be longer. 
which would not bode well for the Grizzlies given how they've played without Steven Adams. So we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. Notably, the first game back is in Philadelphia against Joel Embiid. So the front off, or excuse me, the coaching staff might not want to bring Steven Adams back for that matchup in particular. But the other big news item that happened just a few days ago on February 15th, Diamond Sports Group announced that it would be skipping a $140 million debt payment this month, which indicates that Chapter 11 bankruptcy could be imminent for the Diamond Sports Group. Kraft, what, how does this relate to the Grizzlies? Yeah, and so, and so if you'll bear with me for a second, because I think uh, for a lot of y'all, uh, when people say RSNs, it's like, what is that? What is going on? And so I just want to give a little explainer about why, uh, what's happening and why I think Will and I like, see this as a big news item. Um, but RSNs are basically stand for regional sports networks. And so if you think, uh, you know, it's been Bally sports is what we've been doing for so many years. It was like Fox sports South and Fox sports, Tennessee, but like that, that channel that you went to find Grizzlies games, um, that oftentimes maybe you paid a little extra or just came with your cable bill, um, cable package, but that's what you did. And so, you know, part of the deal that's going on is we're seeing kind of a big shifting landscape in in media, as y'all know, um, especially since you are listening to a podcast and not listening to us on the radio, you know that things are really shifting. But RSNs, these regional sports network, used to make so much money as part of this cable bundle because they had pretty good deals with teams, and then you know, and then basically everybody who got cable in the region would be paying them money, uh, and it was and it was a great deal. Like uh, you know, you couldn't off you couldn't be a cable company and offer you know and not offer a way for people to watch their favorite kind of baseball, basketball, hockey teams. Um, and, and the costs were kept down because it's part of the bundle. A bunch of people, like maybe like my grandmother, who had never watched the Grizzlies, were paying for it. And, and so, you know, basically the teams loved it because they got to add some more local revenue. Uh, they could even get fans like the Grizzlies, like fans in the rest of Tennessee or Mississippi and Arkansas uh, to like be able to watch the games and get money from them. And it became a great sort of win-win for all involved. You know, even conferences famously got involved with the Big Ten and the SEC Network and stuff like that. Um, but then, of course, the Internet happened. And as the Internet, like, it happened slowly because the Internet happened a while ago. But it happened slowly. And then all at once, people stopped wanting to pay cable for a cable bundle with a bunch of channels they never watched. And so, especially non-sports fans realized, why am I paying all this money to ESPN and all these RSNs? And, uh, you know, why is ESPN making a killing off me when I never watch sports? Uh, and, you know, when I just watch like House Hunters or Fixer Upper or whatever. So so the Internet and the video games also became much cheaper alternatives. And, of course, you have Netflix and all this stuff. So everybody started cutting the cord. And with that, uh, streamers began doing a la carte stuff like Hulu and YouTube, offering smaller packages that didn't have these RSNs. And so profits began to dwindle. And so what happened? And so for forever, Grizzlies were on Fox Sports South. Well, Fox saw this. And so they sold all their RSNs, like Fox Sports South, Fox Midwest. Uh, they also sold like FX channels and like gave, you know, the Fantastic Four and all, you know, all the Marvel, like gave all the rest of the Marvel stuff back to Marvel. They sold it all to Disney for like $70 billion. It was a huge move. Um, and Fox just kind of kept their like little news, uh, FS1, FS2, stuff like that. So 
so and and basically with that, ESPN thought, okay, we'll use these RSN somehow. But then the government came in and said, well, we don't want you having all this. But then also, really, Disney realized and ESPN realized a little too late uh, what Fox had already realized, which is these RSNs are not making as much money as they used to. It's dwindling. And so they quickly sold the RSNs two years later to this Diamond Sports Group, which now brings us, you know, which... Um, you know, and of course they nicknamed their media properties Bally. So we've been watching stuff on the ba- on Bally Sports for the last three, four years, either through the cable package or now they had that a la carte offering that we've been watching Bally or you're using one of your parents' uh, mini passwords to watch a Bally game. Uh, that's sort of the way people have been doing it. And, and so... And so now one of the, the problem is one, so the RSN profits are dwindling. At the same time, this Diamond Sports Group went into massive debt uh, to buy this stuff from Disney. And so this is where we are now is that the Bally channels are bleeding money as people are not only cutting cable, but cable companies and streaming sites are offering cheaper bundles and packages without them. And so they're just not paying, they're not making enough money to both pay the teams what they promised as well as pay their debt. And so they've now uh, missed their payment and are expected in mid-March to declare bankruptcy. And even things like these last-ditch efforts, like I said, to say like, hey, $20 a month, you can watch Bally just through streaming, just through the internet. Uh, this, you know, this isn't working when you also have all this debt. So that's where we are. And why this is a big deal is because I know for so many people that listen, especially to Grizz Den, you know, a lot of people are telling me, you know, I listen to, I, you know, I listen to podcasts like yours to kind of keep up with the Grizzlies because I get barely get to watch the games because I don't want to pay this huge cable bill. Um, I can't pay the $20 a month, you know, to do it a la carte. Uh, and I kind of watch the national or maybe I'll go to a sports bar from time to time. And so all that is happening, you know, and literally in a month, there is going to be nobody uh, you know, nobody's gonna be giving money to the Grizzlies to pay, you know, Brevin and Pete and Rob Fisher and the crew and all the producers and everything like that. And so it's kind of like, what is going to happen? And what makes it even more complicated is that, uh, Bally is like over half of the NBA RSNs, but not all of them. And so you still have, uh, the Warriors, the Knicks, the Boston Celtics who are owned by other cable companies who I, you know, honestly the landscape is showing they're all sort of starting to get tighter, but they don't have these massive debt payments. So they're still good to go for a while. And they also maybe are in larger markets. And so, so this is happening and it's kind of, it hits with also the fact that Memphis is a small market. Uh, So you got cord cutting, you got small markets, you got revenue sharing, you got all these things kind of happening with the CBA right now too. So all that's kind of coming together. That was a lot of info. So I'd love to get your response. Well, no, it's, it's wild how this happened so quickly in 2019, this acquisition, as you said, occurred and already we're here within four years. It shows some of the business uh, on the business side, how smart it was maybe for Fox to go ahead and see the writing on the wall and get off of it. And I will say just from a user experience standpoint, I don't think when people hear that Bally will be no more, I think they're going to celebrate just because it was such a problem now that people are on YouTube TV, Hulu, and it wasn't available to them. and, And they just finally came out with a $20 a month package to stream their favorite team. And even then the functionality of the app is so up and down. We actually stream the games here using a cable login that we don't, you know, 
we don't pay for it. Uh, <laughs> but we somebody else that we know does. But this is going to be huge. And, and the NBA, I read, has $10 billion at stake here with the revenue that they get from the RSNs. It's about 15% of the league's overall revenue pie, yeah. which is how all of the things like the salary cap are determined. And so there's a couple of options that I see that they have. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think... I read that they do have a contingency in pl- plan in place for the rest of the season since right. there's only a few months left. The Major League Baseball is actually in more dire straits because yeah. their season hasn't started yet, and so it's going to affect them in more ways than just right. the season. But I think the NBA has a few options. What What are the ones that you've, you've read about? Yeah, so, I mean, a couple of things. Uh, you know, one of the reasons where, uh, obviously, the NFL stands apart here in that they don't have RSNs. One is because they don't have that many games. But one of the things they do is they have uh, now six media partners. So they have, you know, they have the NBC Sunday night game. They have the CBS and uh, Fox games on Sunday afternoon. They have Amazon now on Thursday night. They have ESPN slash ABC Disney on on Monday night. And now they've just entered another one with YouTube Google, uh, you know, with Google who owns YouTube uh, with the Sunday ticket. And so they have all these media partners and what they do is, you know, like when we turn on a game Sunday afternoon on CBS, we're getting a more regionalized game. They have, you know, a regionalized game for us and then a national game uh, and they kind of go back and forth. And I think one of the things in the new media rights deal that I think the NBA is going to be looking at is do we, you know, because I know NBC is interested, Fox is interested, every streamer, Apple TV, Amazon, Google, they're all interested. Like, I'm wondering if what we're going to have is a situation where we're going to have a lot more uh, people having NBA media rights, which for the fan might be annoying because it might be you got to work hard to find it. But we might have more like NBC Friday night NBA game. But here you get the Grizzlies game. But in the you know West, you get a Warriors or a Lakers game or something like that. We might also just get a lot of different. It might just be that the RSNs are maybe replaced with some local companies that only show like 40 games. And because so many games are on all these other sites, uh, I mean, it'll be interesting. I think that's the, the good thing is I think we could potentially have a situation where more games are available easier because I know the NBA really wants that to happen. The bad news is it might, it might not be as simple as we know if the game's not on TNT or ESPN, it's on Bally. It might be a little more more difficult for people to find games. But that's like the only that's one of the things I can think of is going more NFL style um, in the way they're going. And obviously, baseball can't do that because they have 160 games, right? You know, and so that's a much more challenging thing for them. I think one that's more intriguing to me is the direct to consumer option for the yeah. NBA. They could go ahead and mm-hmm. basically buy out the rights that the RSNs hold, or the creditors are going to hold the, uh, right. for the RSNs, and they could consolidate it under what they already have for League Pass. And I know that if you've been watching any Twitter videos going on at All Star Weekend, Adam Silver's you know showcasing all this different AI that they're yeah. putting into their app and different options. That's very gimmicky, and I don't necessarily. That doesn't appeal to me per se, but it could to others. The uh, but instead of let's say paying for if you've cut the cord, the M- NBA League Pass might show different. Which right now you can buy uh, a specific team's games. The problem is they are blacked out if right. you're within the region where the RSN holds the rights currently. But if the RSN does not 
hold the rights anymore and the NBA has those, you're not going to experience those blackouts right. anymore. Potentially, you can just buy your team, stream it on the NBA app and just right. do it that way. To me, I don't. I think that would be smarter yeah. from a business perspective. I mean, the, the, the problem, the worry is the loss of revenue potentially. The, the other thing is you're, you yeah. are now putting all of your eggs in the DTC, direct-to-consumer right. basket, and who knows how up and down that could be depending on, you know, you could have a, a team let's say like the pistons or the um or the rockets where in the pistons standpoint the their best player goes down halfway through the season and if you're paying month to month to watch your team let's say in this new nba league pass landscape you might just say i'm i'm good so the nba would not gain that revenue because you've decided right. to cut off your subscription halfway through um but i do think that would simplify the user experience but of course this is all going to come back to where can they get the most revenue especially if that they have so many bids coming from like you right. said like the nbc's maybe even the apples or the amazons for nba rights right. that could end up being the more smart business decision for now and it's all coming to a head at this point where in the next two years we're going to have a new rights deal that kicks in and affects the way that teams are built based on the salary cap. So yeah. all of this matters for how the Grizzlies are going to operate right. moving forward. Um, and unfortunately, they're just going to do whatever right. is, is well, the and, best for the and money. One of the, and with that, you know, one of the issues is is that, you know, the Knicks, MSG Network, and then like, you know, the the local rights for like the Warriors and the Celtics, like they don't they won't want this because they make so much money uh, and what the quote big market teams make so much more money on their RSNs than the small market. And a lot of all the Bally RSNs, you know, are a lot most mo are more of the small market teams. And so partly wonders if like you have this choice that teams get to make, whether they get to keep their own mm -hmm. or they go in with the NBA. And again, it kind of goes back to, you know, the NFL, they all their TV revenue is all shared. Um, and obviously you see that by the fact that like the Kansas City Chiefs, which is a very smart market team can be and the Green Bay Packers can be these great teams uh, and, and get the same amount of revenue as like the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, but you have, you know, in the NBA, you still have this sense of locally you can make a lot more revenue and you don't have to share that in the same way. You have to share a little bit of it, but you don't you can really do that. So thus that the Knicks, you know, and the Celtics and. Uh, you know, the Warriors and the Lakers can go can go into luxury tax in a way that's not as you know, that doesn't they don't feel it as much because they're making so much local revenue. And so so that's like the stuff that they're going to that's going to there's going to be a small market, large market thing going on, too. How do you think Grind City Media uh, matters in all of this to the Grizzlies? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's also fascinating, too, because one of the hard parts is right now is there's this like local relationship between the, you know, between Grind City Media, between Bally and between like 92.9 Memphis, who's the radio affiliate where all the where they're all working for all of them. And I think that's what's hard is because it feels like if the Bally part goes away, a lot of contracts are going to have to kind of be rewritten or rethought through with you know, who's, you know, who's paying, you know, or are you working for Bally or are you working for the team? And all that stuff is going to get really complicated uh, because like right now it's working the way it is. And now they're going to have to really rethink through that stuff. I mean, it seems like we, fortunately, and we were talking about this before recording that, that we have one of the wealthiest owners in sports and, and he, uh, and I think, you know, he sees Grind City Media as like an also just an interesting thing that he's doing. He likes it. And so uh, so I can see that continuing, but it's going to be a weird 
you know, wondering if losing the RSN money, like you said, is going to mean feel more like the way the the newspaper business has been hit locally, where production values might have to lower. You might have more people doing more jobs. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that's that's sort of the future. I mean, I think that's you know, when we when we when people complain about Bally. Uh, we don't complain about the personalities. We love all the personalities. Like we love, like like I think most people think we we have one of the best play by play analyst tandems. We have a good, I think, pre game, post game uh, group of talent. You know, a lot of it's just the Bally UI on the apps, um, sort of the way they, you know, their graphics, the way they sort of produce all the Bally things. They they always come back late <laughs> from replays and stuff. You miss game stuff, and that's all stuff from like head head Bally stuff that I think people would be excited about a potentially fresh start. But I do, I am nervous that ultimately if the NBA does take over, it's going to mean some cost cutting too. So. Yeah. That's it's the main thing for me is what it's going to change from a structural standpoint with grind city media and how it seems they, they just have such a good relationship between right. the different entities right now. And there's people that seem to be wearing so many hats underneath all of this, this, what seems as if it's an umbrella, but yeah, as soon as you start to divide the pie, you don't have that. Those contracts are definitely going to have to be revisited and, and we yeah. can see how it has an effect, how, how it affects the actual broadcast that we see. Um, yeah. So, but I will say, I mean, with you, I, I think kind of talking about the direct, I mean, for me, the biggest thing is I want people who love the Grizzlies to be able to, in a very affordable way, be able to watch the Grizzlies and watch a lot of them. Because I think ultimately one of the reasons why the NFL is what it is, is because people can just get an antenna and watch their team's favorite games locally um, with, you know, with little inconvenience. And I want that more and more because I just, I talk to too many people who don't watch very many Grizzlies games who are Grizzlies fans just because it's just so hard. And so I hopefully whatever they do, even if they have to lose a little bit of money, in the short term, that's that's what I hope to see is that just they make it easier for the most amount of people possible to watch the games. And to add another layer to all of this, we have a problem right now with players playing big national TV games in the regular season. We had a game the other night, which I was pumped right. to see the Bucks and the Celtics, and yeah. none of the Celtics starters are playing. Basically, right. it's still a great game, still goes to yeah. overtime. Uh, but at the same time, that's not what these networks have in mind. No. And if you have more, if you have bids coming from different places you got to think that at some point they're going to want some just some validation that the products right. is going to be the best it can be for yes. all this money that's being paid you also have the games overall do, is the solution to lower the number of games that are played in a regular season but how do you recoup the lost revenue and a lot of the the issues with the games played had to do with these RSNs because you had right. to get to a certain number to fulfill the contract. If the RSNs are no more, does that allow them to go back to the drawing board and potentially yeah. come up with more solutions right. that limit maybe some games played in the regular season and ensure that there's some uh, some give and take with the players to ensure that they're going to be playing on right. those big nights when you have national television? So that there's a lot here, yeah. and that's why it matters so much this one one debt payment not being met can yeah. have ripple well, effects for the next years. In, in a good way, like I think that it's going to force it's it's going to force the NBA to do some stuff. It's going to force the Grizzlies to think through some some stuff. Um, and I think in that way, it's a good thing because I think changes need to happen. And maybe this is going to force changes to happen um, before it just got got gets really dire. 
NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat, same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt-in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back. Download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Last news item, February 17th, yesterday, from when we were recording, Ja Morant had Mount 12 Ski, a pop-up shop that was in Salt Lake City, only a couple blocks from the arena, arena in conjunction with Nike. And these are the, this is the first time that Ja Ones have been available to the public. You could, if you're in Salt Lake, you could join the line, step into what was an actual igloo that they built in in a replica of a jaw one shoe that you could step in you you had you know if you ordered a shoe it it would come down the the ice luge to be delivered right to your hands and i believe they were selling a couple versions of the shoe including the 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 Vancouver color one i forget what the name was but that was so incredibly cool to see the way that Nike made Ja the face of its all-star campaign and in such a huge way. And you saw a ton of, um, you had actually another type of shoe that was released, which looks like it's going to be the premium Ja option, which had some some diamonds on the outsides. The like black shoe had 12 a.m. over the laces that looked like diamonds. I forget, again, I should have written down the actual names of these shoes. Overall, the point is Ja Morant, might end up being the number one uh, NBA athlete for Nike. They've already shown that they're prioritizing him in such a huge way. This all-star break, I can only imagine how this is going to increase as the shoe actually hits market here in just a couple of months. Yeah. And and it feels like with so many sort of injuries and, and even like the, I guess uh, I feel like even Jaws peers, like a Luca basically just sort of saying like he's mad to go to the all-star game and he's just ready to go to Mexico. It, I, I think uh, this could be it. It's exciting because I do think this is a time for jaw to really his superstar um, just to really climb because, you know, I don't, you know, and whatever, I don't know how the all-star game is going to go uh, this weekend. I'm sure we'll talk about that next week. But I just think the fact that it's by far he's the notice, the one that's noticeably being campaigned for uh, at the All-Star game is just huge. And I think it continues to just go back to how big of a deal it is that we finally, the Grizzlies forever, uh, we finally have this superstar and he might be one of the you know most popular athletes of his generation, honestly. Also, the moment in time, I feel like can't be overstated with a really tough couple of weeks from a PR perspective for Ja. So this is yeah. this could be a big deal just for him uh, to get that confirmation that he is, he, you know, he he is this good. There's a lot of investment being put into him, and hopefully it's a good reminder for him that this stuff does not come around for everyone. So you have yeah. to be you have to be smart uh, about your PR. And uh, but it's such a cool thing, and yeah. I'm glad he's able to start in the All Star right. game as well. Like we could look up and he could potentially have a streak of, you know, a decade where he started every all-star ring, just given that 
Curry, who knows how long he's going to be able to play at this level um, right. without injury. And so Ja could be the obvious choice in there for the Western Conference guard uh, with with Luka moving forward there. So. Yeah. For All sure. right, let's get into, we, we are just going to talk briefly through the, three things that we liked from the first 70% of the season, three things that we didn't like. And so I'll throw it over to you, John. What is the number one thing that you liked about okay, the first so, 70% of the season? So listeners to the podcast would not be surprised by this, but the number one thing that I liked is Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, that... Like it's it's hard to remember that preseason we he was not on the team he was injured uh, we were wondering how long he would be out we were wondering what he would look like when he came back uh, and you know basically I just think he has had you know it, he's had an an unbelievable year and I think what's even more sort of for me what I like is he's had an he's had an unbelievable year on the defensive end we've talked about it but he's had a very good year on the offensive end and and just the thought of he's only 23 the potential that's the stuff that gets me very very excited uh, you know, we I've laid out already in the past just how unbelievable he is defensively. I mean, finally, that last game against the Jazz, he finally qualified to start getting on the overall statistics by playing enough games. And so you're starting to see just how dominant he is and everything and how basically he's already surpassed all these people with playing way less games and way less minutes. Uh, you know, you have the funny controversy, the home road splits and you know, and, and there's still this the foul thing is still gonna dog him. He's he struggled on the road in national games. He still is struggling with foul trouble and he needs to figure that out. But again, for me it's just really uh the big picture of he's only twenty three, like thinking about him and I was just looking at statistics with him and looking at players. I mean, I know and and there's all sorts of people that are gonna be rolling their eyes at me about this, but looking at people like Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan at their age of twenty three, especially, you know, and what's hard with them is because the stats seem better, but when you do it like per thirty six, looks really comparable to Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan type stats. It's pretty unbelievable. Um, you know, we were talking about the CBA earlier. I mean, it's pretty amazing how back then <laughs> all those guys played 40 minutes a game, uh, and played tons of games. And so in some ways, you know, it's going to always be hard because of, uh, the way the Grizzlies played, they're going to rest guys. They're going to keep guys minutes down in the regular season. And I actually think that's a great thing, but, but Jaron just looks like, uh, somebody who's going to be a top 20 NBA player for the next five or six years. Um, and he's still just, I feel like, especially offensively has so much to add to his game. We still talk about maybe this will be the summer where he can actually improve his game, work on his offensive game throughout the whole summer. Um, you see his three point shooting starting to get better. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's the big thing I like. I just think uh, uh, we've, you know, we're not a one man team that's going to be dependent on jaw. I really, it feels like we have a second, you know, maybe not superstar, but a second star who's going to be uh, in the all-star game, fringe all-star and really honestly in defensive player of the year conversation for the next seven, eight years. And I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. He is my number one as well. And I think it also has to do with the way in which this team is winning and how important defense is going to be to their identity, not only in the regular season, it has been already, but for the playoffs. If you can limit teams to 89 points like they did to the Chicago Bulls, you can survive a quarter and a half where you can't shoot. And you also, shooting has been an issue for this team, but they've gotten away with good defense. And 
I think that Jaron staying on the floor is going to be supremely important moving forward. And we have well been well documenting the fact that not all of this whole narrative about Jaron's fouls has been legitimate. There is a piece of it that is legitimate. And so that's the next evolution of his game is figuring out when not to be aggressive. But the fact that his aggression can lead him to a defensive player of the year level is encouraging. You just want to see the ceiling there. And we've seen it this season of what he can be when he puts it all together. If he's hitting threes as well, if he's shooting 40% from three in a game or better, it's going to be really hard to beat us. So even if you're seeing limited minutes, which Jenkins in multiple post-game press conferences has commented on the limiting minutes being very intentional for for these guys. And so um, Jaron just being at this level has completely transformed this team because where would we be without Jaron this season given our – uh, our offensive struggles. I mean, right. I don't, I don't, and I don't it, know, but he's he's huge. Yeah, and I just remember, you know, way back when we were uh, listening to Jonathan Charks, who I love on the draft, and him talking about why why Jaron was his number two pick that year behind Luca, and just saying like, you know, the fact that he's a guy who could play four. Um, or play five, like play four in kind of a traditional NBA structure, play five in a small ball structure. Uh, and just the fact that like, if you want to win an NBA title, you have to have a rim protector. I mean, it's just, it is the, the, the fact and having a rim protector who can also space the floor is just, is a crazy thing. And, you know, and he it looks like offensively, he's even starting to add driving and some other things. So I'm just, I'm super excited. That's been my, by far the thing I've liked the most. Yeah, number two for me was actually front office aggression. And we did not see maybe the fruits of, of that. Mm-hmm. But we talked about it for 10 minutes earlier about the comments that Zach Kleiman made. And I think having a front office that recognizes where we are in this team's life cycle recognizes that we have a chance to be a contender not only this year, but for you know three to five years at minimum with this. And, and also are willing to... Um, you had a lot of... Uh, Danny Green positive press and you could have seen a scenario where a front office that doesn't have as much resolve to make the moves that they need to make would have maybe kept him uh, and no I mean he he's he's got a national platform and so there's a lot there, there's some things around that that could have been difficult more politically to deal with but this front office knew what they wanted and they knew how best to preserve their yeah. options moving forward into this summer. And even with that, you see Danny Green tweeting out a huge thank you to Memphis. And so the fact that they were able, they're able to bring in veterans like Danny Green who have been everywhere, but had the highest compliments of this particular organization. And yet at the same time, making the correct basketball moves. Uh, I've been very encouraged by the front office's work. Yeah. I mean, to back, I mean, I think that goes well into the culture stuff too, but I just think, um, you know, and I'm probably somebody who's a little more conservative than you in the sense that like some of the things that if they would have done to get OG or bridges, I think I would have been maybe critical of, you know, so like, I actually don't know if I want to lose a trade right now, but I love that there are aggressive, aggressive and, you know, and we've seen that uh, in the summer with like, we never just wait and, pick somebody we always move up in the draft to get who we want I like that we're assured in who in who we like I like that in the same way that everybody talks about we need to get older and more experienced and that's why Danny Green is important it's like no actually we're gonna we're gonna go get younger to fulfill a need we really have and in that sense I do like that um, I think our our front office is okay with you know, um, with saying like, we're going to, we're going to make ourselves better, but we also understand that it's not always linear and that we have a young core. And so, and sometimes we might 
you know, and I think, you know, we'll maybe get to my dislikes in a minute. Uh, you know, we might have give, put too much on uh, three young guys' shoulders a little too early. But at the same time, I think they think, well, but we are going to do it. And like, they're going to have to learn at some point. So why not now? And so, you know, so, but I, I liked, I liked that it, we were aggressive too. What was your number two? So my number two would be sort of, um, front court depth, I guess, and better, you know, because I have defense, but I kind of, in that sense, I kind of, that goes along with Jaron in some ways. I like to, I, I love our defense, but front court depth, uh, which is something that I don't think I would have thought coming into the season. Uh, but the fact that I think, uh, that, that obviously I think more and more we see how, how much Adams matters and how excited I am that we've extended him because I just think even now if we had waited, I think he'd be worth more just because more and more people are realizing how how good Adams is. But I but honestly, and then we have missed Adams, so don't hear me. Like we have missed Adams. Don't hear me incorrectly on this, but but Tillman actually has, I think, filled in pretty admirably um for Adams. And so he's somebody who like on our regular rotation won't play. So having him, I think, you know. Would you know? I think just having him on a super cheap contract as a third backup big break in case of emergency, I think is pretty good. And he, in a good way, can play with Jaron. And then Brandon and Aldama have both been really solid. I think we forget that Aldama started for the first like 15, 16 games of the season and filled in admirably. Um, you know, obviously, we still struggle a little bit on defense and rebounding with Aldama again. He's like 21. He's really young, but uh, but obviously we were not expecting him to be as good as he's been, and he seems to, despite a couple bad games in the last couple weeks, he seems to be a guy that is there for the moment on the big national games. He seems to show up, and uh, and then obviously Brandon Clark's just Brandon Clark, and will continue to be sort of that uh, guy we can bring in and play great in small ball lineups, great bench big, and so just the depth of the front court uh, is just exciting. I think you know we were, we're very deep there. Santi was my third, uh, okay. and it for all the reasons you just mentioned, but just the fact that we weren't even factoring him in as a long-term piece moving forward, and now fast-forward to the like at this offseason we weren't, and then you fast-forward to the trade deadline, and it's like, I kind of rather give up Zaire than Santi at this point. Like, yeah. Who would have thought that that would be where we were sitting here today saying? But it's true. And the fact that Adams went down, I mean, think about if we didn't have Santi on this team or if he was playing for the G League right now. Like, Where would we be in the front court? Because we don't have anybody else uh, apart from maybe like a Tillman who has, like you said, he's been playing awesome. Like One of the big pauses of the last week right. and a half. But that's not a guy that you want to have to rely no, he's, on. He should be our 12th or 13th man for sure. <laughs> Especially since there is limitation in terms of shooting with BC and Tillman both. And so neither, you can't play them together, you know? And so it, Santi has been an absolute revelation for this team. And I, that's why he's in my top three. Yeah. Um, one other like I had, um, and this is sort of maybe putting more of a silver lining. This is my kind of like, you know, take a, take a, br- uh, take a big breath to the Grizzlies fans out there. Um, is us preparing for playoffs. And what I mean by that is I have really enjoyed seeing us switching up defenses uh, and, you know, literally switching up, playing switch uh, defense and not just drop coverage. 
uh, I saw in the Celtics game, for instance, which, you know, we famously take away the like kind of regular season defense. We take away the paint. We take away the corner threes. Uh, if you watch the first half of the Celtics a game, that did not work out very well in our favor because some because guys like Hauser and Pritchard were, were killing us from the kind of above the break threes. And we switched on that and made a really big run early in the second half. We kind of switched up defense. We were trying things. And I feel like we've done that a lot, especially in bigger games and, and in different times. And when we get to my dislikes, there's been some things that have happened because of that. But my likes have been, I think that we're doing more of uh, what I think really good teams do, which is get a good seed. Don't sacrifice wins as but you know, we don't want to, but if it means we lose a few games here and there in the regular season, because we're trying new things, um, you know, and I sent this text to y'all, I was excited to see we by far right now, um, from like the the super nerds who like follow all the play calls and stuff, we have like the biggest offensive playbook out there. Like we rival any other team with the kind of sets we can do, and and again, we don't right now we have a league average offense. But I think some of this stuff is putting things in and trying things so that when we get to the playoffs and over a seven game series, we have a lot of options, uh, a lot of ways to flex and to adapt. And, and so I like that. I don't know if we're going to see the fruit of that, these playoffs. I hope so. Um, but I think I like seeing more of that than we did last year. Uh, we're doing a lot more of that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. Let's get to our dislikes. Although, do you, did you have any more in the light column that we missed or were those the three? Um, no, I have a little bit honorable mention like, but I'll get it to it Perfect. in our negatives. Uh, the first one for me, uh, is just off court distractions. I feel like that. Uh, I don't necessarily think that every bit of talk that's come out is a problem. I've been on this podcast saying that I am still concerned about even the positive uh, that, that gets shined on the Grizzlies because I would rather us operate, shall I say, in the dark. Yeah. Um, and the off-court distractions, though, have kind of reached a, a boiling point, I feel like, had reached a boiling point two weeks ago. And I'm glad we have this all-star break, and it's going to be a hard reset, I think, for a lot of these guys. And it's easier when the all-star break is later, uh, thanks NFL, because you can abs- you can actually lock in for a 25-game stretch rather than if you, let's say, have like 38 games left no. in a season. So this is a short enough time period where I think you can, you can like the coaching staff can say, okay, let's block out the noise, guys. It's time to win. Uh, but so far, the off-court distractions, to me, they, they are... What I'm worried about is they're indicative of larger problems that could present themselves down the line. Um, and so I'm just hoping that this is this is a one-time thing for the for this particular stretch. But it has been the one thing that's been kind of a bummer this season. Yeah. Not a lot of silver lining to it. Well, and I think it, it also... Uh, I think in a good way, maybe it, it it led to like John Rant turning off comments on social media and other things like that. Because I think there obviously was this perfect storm of that and some, you know, the, the I'm fine in the West with the West Coast road trip and like basically us being so hated by like Lakers and Warriors fans who are the most online of fans. And so I think all of that, I, agree. I mean, I kind of there's a part of me that per- probably likes the talk a little bit more uh, than you do. But I definitely think it was a big distraction. I think that our our kind of four and nine stretch that we've had these last thirteen games that everybody's been freaking out about. I think a lot of that has come uh, kind of a perfect storm of all these things. What about you? So for me, uh, one of my big uh, one of my big dislikes or just things that is concerning and might 
be connected to us trying like my like, which was us trying stuff out for the playoffs, but has been us in the clutch. So uh, one of the interesting things about us is we've had the second fewest clutch games. Uh, so like if you, you know, for a while, I know Chris Vernon famously was saying, I just want close games. Uh, because it was seemed like we were blowing out a lot of people. And then when we lost, it was basically we were just not showing up and getting blown off the floor. Um, so we have the second fewest clutch games in the NBA. But in those 24 games, we've gone 13 and 11. Uh, and so and so just to in comparison, we already have as many losses in clutch games this year as we had last year. Last year, we went 21 and 11. We also had very few clutch games last year, too. We also, this trend of blowing people out or being blown out was there. But uh, but obviously, uh, we, we've already lost that many. Uh, interestingly, last year, we were really slow. And that was something that was a critique of a lot of people for us is that, like, we're, we play so well and play fast, but then... Uh, when it gets down to clutch situations, we slow way down, which is like our, our one of our weaknesses. Well, interestingly, this year, we actually have fixed that. Uh, we have the fastest pace in clutch by far. Like, it's actually hilarious. The difference between us and second place team, it's like second place to like the 25th team, <laughs> like in, in how they're close. Like, we are so far the fastest team in the last five minutes. So that's not been our problem. Uh, but what we've seen, and this is a trend going back to last year, assists way down in the clutch, like bottom of the league and like every assist mes- metric. Uh, we're, you know, we were we were sixth in net rating last year in the clutch. This year we're 25th mm. in net rating. Uh, interestingly, interestingly, our offense is actually league average. It's our defense in the clutch that's mm. 25th. Wow. That's which is very, very unexpected. Yes. Um, which is, which really jumped out to me because last year we were, uh, like eighth or ninth in offense, but like fourth in clutch defense last year. So it's interesting. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, I think we can spend the next few weeks thinking about why that is. Uh, but, but one of my hopes is that, uh, and so us in the clutch and obviously when we look forward to the playoffs. This is a big deal because games are close in the playoffs. Uh, it's a heightened sense. And, you know, most NBA regular seasons game, the, the, the most playoff intensity you get is in clutch situations. And so that's, that, that's a very concerning thing that we've been sort of 500. I mean, there's also like, we always like to talk about coin toss losses. We've just also lost a lot of really close games this year. And, and we didn't last year, but there, but, but I think it's something to be concerned about. I'm hoping my, my optimism, my silver lining is it's because we're playing more for the playoffs. And so Jenkins is experimenting with some things. We're thinking through some stuff. Honestly, also teams just have more of a book on us now. Like, you know, we, we won a lot, a lot, like, you know, there's a whole string of Jaron hitting clutch threes and jaw making amazing moves their first couple years in a league. And I just wonder if now people are kind of really uh, game planning against us in that way. I don't know. I don't know what you think about that or what you would theorize, but I just thought like, that's, you know, when I looked back, it's like, you know, if we just hadn't lost some of these close games, I think people wouldn't be nearly as upset about the last, the play the last few weeks and that, but that's really stands out to me. The clutch is just way different than last year. I would want to see the minutes distribution so far in these clutch games, how many minutes or lack thereof, Jaron's been on the floor. Yeah. I think that's the other part. I mean, of the obviously defense. we've we've he he is 
He's lower than he should be. Exactly. I looked. I briefly yeah. looked at it, and some obviously some of that is the foul situation. Exactly. So I, that's where I'm thinking, like in terms of the defense, that to me is like first place to look. So I'd be interested to see those numbers. The second thing I remember back in like I think this is 2017, maybe the last good year of the um, the Mark and Mike experiment. I shouldn't. I meant to say experience, not experiment. <laughs> it, it was an experiment that absolutely worked. The um, but I just remember, I, I, again, I, I don't know if it's this year in particular, but one of those kind of final years, we had just an unbelievable clutch record. Yeah. And I think there's just so much to be said for experience and confidence yeah. in that moment. And Ja did have some spectacular plays, and I still trust him in the clutch over a lot of players. I think he can get to his shot. He can get by anybody he wants. Um, and teams do sell out often, and we need to be able to hit shots. But I still think there's something to be said for the youth of this team when it yeah. comes to clutch situations, and it's sort of taking your lumps. And I, um, I'm interested to see if that plays itself out in the playoffs. So. Yeah. No, and sure, and obviously we've had a lot of close games uh, with since Stephen Adams went out too that we've lost, and so yeah. I think that there's a little bit of that there too. My my uh, number two was the non-linear growth for Zaire. I'm not necessarily giving up on him. I've been more critical, I believe, before kind of this most recent slump of him, just because I felt as if you know he's he fits the profile of who we need to slot into the, the wing spot. And so far the shot hasn't been there. I feel like the speed of the game um, has caught up to him and there are just turnover issues and just overall confidence issues that, that I think have now come to a head with him, his being downgraded to the G league I am looking forward to seeing him and the minutes that he can bring after All-Star break, but I do think that those minutes are going to be very decisive um, for how much he's going to be represented in our playoff rotation. Injuries can happen, but you bring in a guy like Luke Kennard, who I think is going to come off the bench before Zaire. He's uh, obviously a few inches shorter, uh, but... He still plays a role where he can you can slot slot him into two or three depending on if John Bain are both out there. And so Zaire to me was the biggest loser of the first seventy percent of of this season. And again, he's so young. We're not giving. I'm not. You don't hear me giving up on Zaire yet. But there are some concerns that I have for him, and the growth has just not been linear this year for no. him. Yeah, and and that that goes well with mine. So we'll just. I'll just back, piggyback off yours, which I was wing depth, which was kind of mine. And, and Zaire is obviously the big part of that. I mean, I think the thinking was uh, we're trading away Melton that like Conchar can be a cheaper version of Melton and produce enough. Uh, but then really it was we need to give all of Melton's minutes to Zaire for development. I mean, that's that's really what it was. And obviously he's been injured and we don't know how much of that really put him behind. But but it's been a big disappointment for I mean, I had pretty high hopes for him. I mean, it's been almost like the Aldama Zaire, like what you were saying earlier, just totally contrast in where our expectations were and where they are now. And, you know, and, and I, I, I do, I am nervous about that uh, for the wing depth. I mean, I think, you know, Kennard just, again, we don't know what he's going to, what's going to be look like defensively, but our, I can already tell you even just like, I think just the way he is, he's going to get the offense and he's going to be a little better of a playmaker than Zaire. And the biggest thing is just when you watch, I mean, more than just the three for six, uh, which we were joking about earlier is just, 
I mean, if he is on the floor, uh, we're playing, you know, we, we have one defender who is not going to help. And that's just, and now we're playing four on four and that's just so, uh, it's just a great luxury. We just never had a guy that people just will not leave no matter what. I mean, Bain is is getting there, but because he's a feature, it doesn't seem like that. But we've never had a guy you can throw in the corner, and literally that means there's an, a defender that's just out of the play. And and that's an amazing thing. And Zaire just isn't there. He's missing all those corner threes. Uh, so in that sense, uh, and with that, I mean, that's kind of, you know, the one thing that, that I am nervous about too with all this uh, and, and why the wing depth is I just thought it would be a lot better. Um, obviously I hate that we've gone to some tie. I, I, I can't, that's my biggest issue with Jenkins. I don't know why he likes the jaw ties. I know that they like, they like the actions they can get jaw going, but it is just, it's been a loser. It's been a loser for a year and a half. I, I really worry maybe, you know, we were fortunate, I think in Minnesota with certain matchups, but I get very nervous about trying to pull. I just think that lineup, I'm nervous about having to play that lineup in the playoffs ever. I'm um, hopefully, and especially with Ty struggling too, but, uh, but the wing depth and one of the things, and so with that, it's kind of, it's my negative, but then like you said, it's kind of an mental positive, which is, I think Conchar is still underappreciated. Like I think he gets people call him trash on Twitter all the time. People kind of are like, he's sort of the example of the player that when people are mad at our front office, look, they like guys like Conchar. Conchar is still like, I think the fourth or fifth best plus minus player on our team. Uh, he wins. Like he comes in and he wins. And and that doesn't mean that I want him playing a bunch of playoff minutes and I don't know if he's there for it. But I do know this when he's on the floor, we win. And I feel like he's getting a little bit of the Dylan treatment in a different way, like just uh, in the same, well, actually in the same way in that like they see missed open shots and they just think he's terrible when he's just doing a lot of stuff, whether it be grabbing some rebounds, playing some good defense, uh, you know, just moving the ball on offense and being in the right place. So, so that's sort of with me with the wing depth, because with having Kennard, I know they're going to really force him into the minutes uh, but like, I, I don't want Conchar to, I mean, I'm just gonna be interested to see how that all goes because I still think, you know, despite what people feel about Conchar with their eyes, the data says we win when he's on the floor. Oh yeah. Big time. I think that you look at the, um, the defensive re- rebounding percentage, he's number one on our, or excuse me, he's number one in terms of his position group percentile on our team and at a 14.2%. And that's just for this team with two bigs on the floor, like it, for instance, if Adams is out, you're two bigs. You're not going to have two that that one of them is like an elite rebounder. Like they're both Jaron's average, Brandon Clark is average. Um, you know, he, Brandon Clark's a great offensive rebounder, but again, it's, there's two sides to it. So I think that is absolutely. I, I echo all of what you just said about Contrary. You won't hear me uh, downplaying his impact. I would like to see him make a couple more shots, uh, but overall. That's a team problem too. So I think if right. if everybody else on the team was shooting their averages, we wouldn't notice John Contar's uh, below average, which can be said obviously for everybody as well. But I just think it's a team problem rather than like some very specific player problems. But yeah, he's he's a positive in every in every respect. Yeah. And to me, the um, I mean functional depth issues that's a given 
and I want Echo that. The other thing that I haven't liked so far, and it goes to another kind of Jenkins thing, is um, the lack of the Brandon Clark and Jaron lineups that we've seen, yeah. especially with Steven Adams out. You look at the 95 possessions that they've played with, uh, that Brandon Clark has played with the other four starters minus Steven Adams. We're at a plus 15.8 in those lineups, yeah. and you finally saw it against the Jazz where he got he started. Ironically enough, I had a prop bet on Xavier Tillman's uh, rebounding over uh, before the starting lineup got announced. <laughs> So um, thanks a lot for that, Jenkins. But right. you made it better by playing the lineup that we've wanted to see for now a long time. And it, who, who right. would have thought? It worked. So I think that, to me, when people are concerned about the Adams piece in the playoffs where he gets, quote-unquote, played off the floor, I do think you're seeing the numbers are, are that Brandon right. Clark, when he slides into that offensive, or excuse me, in that starting lineup, um, both offensively and defensively, things are looking really good. Yeah, and, and not... You know, and, and again, um, there, there'll be no Stephen Adams slander coming from me. I think he's great. But I will say, we had a really good clutch record last year, and Brandon Clark Jaron finished a lot of games. Yep, so, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, any more, any more dislikes? Yeah, uh, just um, I, kind of it's, it's a dislike. Uh, Bane as games go on, which is a weird thing to say, but I am, uh, I am continually, you know, I mean, nervous about Bane and his foot. And one of the things that I've noticed is Bain has had really comes out strong. I feel like plays way better in the first half than the second half. Um, Bain has had a lot of weird moments in the clutch, especially in fourth quarters, missed free throws, some turnovers, uh, just like not like the famous Warriors possession with Jaw and him where like it felt like he kind of didn't know what to do and Jaw was exhausted and trying to get Bane in some action and Bane was kind of not wanting to do anything. The Lakers turnover. Yeah, the Lakers turnover. Yeah, like it just and, – and, and so for me, there's a part of me that feels like, one, like this is experience and Bane – you know, is the third, I think, behind John Jaron is kind of like clutch. But like, but that's but he's gonna be in those positions where he's gotta make the big play. And I just wonder if it's if it's a big picture thing with him, but but a lot of it is I just wonder if it's the toe and that like he's playing injured and he's playing through some sort of discomfort. And I just wonder, you know, fourth quarter after playing thirty five minutes, if if that's really starting to affect him. And, and so that's sort of one of my other is that there just hasn't been, he was so good before the injury, like, like would have been playing this weekend. I think if he had been not gotten hurt and kept that, uh, that same kind of productivity, but then, um, and he's been really good at times since coming back. But, but for me, it's been always this weird, uh, and this kind of goes with the clutch thing. It's been a weird thing with him in the, in late, it just seems like he kind of disappears and it might just be teams are now starting to just take him away. I don't know, but it's just, that's been kind of a thing that I just haven't liked. I want to see him make some big plays late. Anything else from your likes or dislikes? No, that's about it. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for another edition of the weekend update. Like I said, we will update you on where, uh, where we're going to be recording and when and we will hopefully have a chance to review the all-star game and look ahead more specifically at the games to come i did the math 12 home games and 13 road games remaining in the 25 so a pretty even split we'll get to test some things uh, at home and also maybe take care of business on the road because it is a tight western conference we will be back with you to preview the last 30% of the season next time. For Kraft, I'm Will. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you next week then.